I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm Susanna Constantine, and this is my wardrobe malfunction. If you haven't joined us before, this is episode number 74. We've had some amazing guests in my wardrobe. Elizabeth Hurley, Tan France, Ashley Roberts, CeeLo Green, can you believe it? Dame Sheila Hancock. There are so many to enjoy, which leads us on to today's special guest. I was looking forward to meeting him as I knew he loved clothes. And goodness me, he did not disappoint. It's the impeccably dressed Hollywood director, Paul Feig. So let's grab the handles, open my wardrobe doors and find out what's inside. Today, I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by the multi-Emmy award-winning director, producer, actor, style icon and gin maker, Paul Feig. Yes. You know what, Paul? I've been so looking forward to meeting you because there's so much to discuss because you are genuinely someone who adores and celebrates clothes, aren't you? Yeah, I love it. I think, uh, uh, you know, I think we're living in what I now call the tyranny of the casual. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. it's everything is so comfort uber alles that I think we've lost a little bit of our uh, our style compass, if you will. But I don't want to be the guy who's complaining about stuff. I just, here's my thing. I feel like everybody needs to have a style. And as long as you have a style, no matter what it is, that's great. I just think not having a style is, you're missing an opportunity to tell the world who you are. I think that's so true. And I will be the one to, I'll be the grumpy old woman. <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting here in a t-shirt, but I have quite a sort of nice cashmere little pullover on. You look fantastic. Well, thank you. But, um, but I, it really annoys me, if I'm going to be honest, because things like when, when you go to the theatre, for example, yeah. everyone is, just looks so scruffy. They're in trainers or they're in jeans. And it's like all the people who have put on that production have worked so damn hard. Yeah. And then you go and show no respect by turning up looking like a piece of shit, really. Well, I mean, I mean theatre is the new airplane, you know? <laughs> I mean, we used to dress up on the airplane. Now it's this feeling of like, well, I'm going to have to sit there, so I need to be comfortable. And again, comfort uber alles. And I still, I'm very hardcore. I always wear a suit and tie on a plane when I fly, which is antiquated, but I just kind of go like, I just don't want to give in to the, you know, sweatpants brigade. So uh, what's nice is, you know, you show up on the plane, everybody at the airport, oh my God, you look so nice. Like they don't see it anymore. Although uh, hilariously in the the years directly after 9-11, if you wore a suit to the airport, you were immediately (laughs) searched and pulled aside (laughs) for security reasons because they thought it was so (laughs) suspicious that you were wearing a suit. So fortunately that's calmed down a little bit. But you're right on planes. I mean, I always used to, I do dress up. I mean, I don't dress up in the equivalent of a, you know, a tailored suit, but I do dress up when I fly. But again, in the olden days, that could quite easily get you an upgrade. If you turned up looking smart and you, 
And I always take, you know, pyjamas or whatever in. Well, actually, I don't because I'm usually flying economy. But I take something comfy. Yeah. Well, you know, for, yeah, for those overnight flights. Also, you just don't want to get everything wrinkled. But uh, I'm lucky enough sometimes when the, the studio is flying me, they'll fly me first class. And then they'll hand out, like, the sleep suit on certain flights, which is always nice. I always save them. <laughs> um, but, yeah, if, if I'm traveling and, and that's not that kind of a flight, then I'll usually bring some sort of uh, pajamas <laughs> actually bring yeah. my, my faux silk pajamas from uh new and lingwood so uh, i look like a cartoon of a rich guy on a, on a, on a plane <laughs> you are too much but <laughs> let's wind the movie back a bit because you were yes. born and raised in michigan mm-hmm. yeah. and you were only child yes. and you watched the 1930s and 40s movies, which I can completely identify with. And your mom loved Cary Grant and Fred Astaire, which I did too. So yeah. exactly the same. And and how much was, you know, the way the movie stars dress, the male movie stars? Is that what, what kind of ignited your passion? Well, it was that. I mean, I really love the way Cary Grant looked, especially in like, you, you watch uh, His Girl Friday and he's wearing those mm-hmm. beautiful double-breasted suits and he's constantly like buttoning it to kind of prove a point. And they were so beautifully tailored and just, I, I was like, that's how a guy should look. But then it was also, I was a huge Groucho Marx fan and read a um, biography of Groucho Marx when I was a kid. And it had a line in there that said, Groucho never trusted a man who didn't dress well. So then, of course, I was like, oh, I have to do that. And it, so it all kind of came together. And then on top of that, my mom, since I was an only child, <laughs> little Lord Fauntleroy, whatever I kind of wanted to do, she would get really excited about it. So immediately got like a subscription to GQ and I would get these men's like fashion books and stuff and, and read them. But it would just I just found it fun. Again, it was like a way to kind of set myself apart, you know, and a very famous thing that happened in in my life was when I was about nine years old, my mom trundled me off to the fancy mall across town, the Somerset Mall, and she bought me a Pierre Cardin three-piece suit. And um, so the die was cast for me on that. I thought it was the greatest thing ever, but my father was enraged because, you know, he knew I was going to grow out of it in three months. And I did. And you were, what, nine years old, did you say? Yeah, I was nine, yeah. So I'd wear it all the time. I'd wear it to the grocery store with my mom and all the... All the, the other women in the place would laugh at me, but I was like, oh, pearls before swine. How dare you? <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody gets me. <laughs> so how did that go down at school and with the other kids? Uh, you know, you know, you, you kind of ask for trouble when you do that. Um, my dad is like, oh, you shouldn't wear that to school. So I would kind of walk the line. But also, this was, it was weird. Like, we, it was, this was all in the, you know, my, my main time going to school was in the 70s. And especially when disco came in, People dressed up. My TV show, Freaks and Geese, kind of really, I tried to Mm. show that where, you know, some people dress really casual and the freaks were kind of army jackets and jeans and kind of quasi-hippie coming out of of the 60s. But then there's others who really got into disco wear. I mean, I was really into that. You know, Angel's Flight pants and uh, these faux silk shirts and, you know, then like a a tailored jacket with your collar on the outside of (laughs) that kind of thing. And, you know, I have this great, like, Ralph Lauren... A beautiful big wide lapel jacket from the seventies that uh, that I pictures of me in. I I I still love that look. I just thought it was really cool. I, I honestly, that's kind of still what I still wear. Yeah, but your collar isn't taking off no. now. You've got a really um, Paul's got a really beautiful cutaway collar. 
What kind of knot do you do in your tie? Is that just straightforward Windsor? Double Windsor. I always do double Windsor. Oh, double Windsor. Yeah, okay. single Windsor it always looks crooked to me, and I'm so anal that when I look in the mirror, it's like oh, trying to find the center. So a nice double Windsor is very neat and clean for me. It's not very spritzatura, but, um, you know, I had remember I posted something on my Instagram, and some guy got in a big argument with me about that my I shouldn't be doing a double Windsor because it's too symmetrical. And it was just like, dude, like... <laughs> Leave me alone. I'm, I'm, <laughs> anal, I'm anal. I don't know what to tell you. Like, tie your tie as crappy as you want, but I, I need the double Windsor. I'm a, a double Windsor guy. But you know what's throwing me talking to you and seeing you is that I I just, it's very bizarre that you've got such a strong American accent, yet you look <laughs> like an English gentleman. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank it's you know. throwing me completely. Yeah, well, I mean, it's British on my mom's side. I've got it's in my genes. Okay, uh, she was Canadian, but all the rest of the family was <clears throat> was British, so it's definitely mm. in there. My wife and I bonded thirty three years ago when we first met over our love of London and all things British, and I really love British tailoring. But I also love—I mean, honestly, this suit I'm wearing today is is Italian. It's a, from a Gianluca Isaia, and um, it's a very Nepalese cut if you can see the whole thing it's got the softer shoulders okay so nepalese so is that sort of slightly italian hairdresser with the slightly so slopey 1980s shoulders yeah it's got the very unconstructed shoulder i still need a shoulder because i've got very sloping shoulders but they mm -hmm. don't try to build them up i hate shoulder pads i despise shoulder pads and it sounds really dumb but I, it's hard for me to buy off the rack because everything slopes in, in the back it just completely folds in so tailors have to go in and, and redo it and most store tailors aren't great at really reworking a shoulder and so they'll always just put a, a shoulder pad it's like well if I wanted a shoulder pad you know I would have told you so that's why I get a lot of made to measure and bespoke mm. um, you know but I wear them to death so I'm not buying it all the time how many suits do you have um, gosh, I mean, I don't give suits away. I mean, it's very rare that I'll get rid of a suit. So I'm 60 years old now. So I've, oh my God, I've got 50 or 60 suits kind of all over the place. And, you know, some I rehabilitate. I had a really good tailor in uh, Beverly Hills back in, in LA, um, who's actually Tom Ford's tailor too. And he's been great at taking like, older suits and recutting them to make them a little more modern. He did that with a bunch of Ralph Lauren black, black label suits that I had that I loved. Because I loved that, yeah, mm. that like 60s kind of thin lapel. But but when they first put them out, they made them very long. So he kind of shortened them and, and kind of just did little recuttings here and there. So, I, so I'm always very loath to get rid of an old suit because now you go on eBay and like old old stuff that you would just give away now is going for a lot of money. So yeah, I don't do it because of that. I just know that it always comes back around in some way. Has your size changed at all? Or are you basically the same size as you were in the kind of late 70s? Well, I mean, I'm pretty much the same size. The stomach goes in and out, let's just say that. Uh -huh. So uh, things do get tight. I call it the tailoring diet. That's why I, I buy a lot of bespoke because as soon as the suit starts to get tight, you're like, I better lose weight because this suit costs a lot of money and I don't want to get it. But that's the great thing about a bespoke suit too is they'll retailer it for you. But you, you can't get that big. You can, you, they can only retailer so much. Yeah, because it's harder to let a suit out, obviously, than it is to take in because yeah. it is so, the, so, you know, all the work and the stitching and it is harder. And then I imagine it leaves a mark when you let it out. Yeah, it does. I mean, true, true bespoke is pretty good about like leaving a lot of fabric behind the seam to do it. But yeah, if you start... If you mess with it, it just it, the whole thing kind of falls apart. So yeah, you can you, you can fluctuate like ten pounds, but if it gets worse than that, then uh, 
it's time for a new suit, my friend. And so what do you wear when you're not wearing a suit? When you're just relaxing? Because you did, and was it in, when you were making Freaks and Geeks, you were you were in a t-shirt and jeans. Yeah, yeah, I was much more t-shirty and jeans back then because I was I was trying to reconnect with with a side of myself that didn't really exist, which was me in high school. If I was one of the kids in my show in high school, you know what I mean. So I it kind of went a little more casual, let my hair grow out because I had long hair back then. So I let my hair grow out, and I would just wear jeans and a t-shirt and then like an oxford over the top unbuttoned and untucked uh, with the sleeves rolled up and that was kind of my but I, I always need a jacket the thing is i have to have a collar like my shoulders are so sloping like if i just wear a t-shirt i look terrible so i need mm-hmm. some kind of a thing so structure, yeah yeah some kind of structure but i mean these days if i'm around the house or, or even on the weekends if i want to go casual i always had trouble with jeans i always look terrible in jeans but i finally kind of found Levi's like 527s and 517s, which are really like the 501s just fit me terrible. But the, but those two, they're a little more tailored. They got a, like a slim fit up top, but they got a boot cut because I love cowboy boots. That's my yeah, I love boot cut. Okay, yeah, and I'm a big cowboy boot fanatic. Like it's my my goal in life is to never tie a lace again. <laughs> so really, so you wear. Okay, I'm not sure about this, Paul. You wear cowboy boots with your suit. Sometimes, yeah. Not all the time. Because a lot of mine aren't tailored to take a cowboy's boot. Yeah. Because you need a slightly wider leg. But the ones that can work, I do. I mix it up. Right now I'm wearing Chelsea boots, which I really like too. Nice. Which are much more streamlined. You know, I don't like a big giant boot, but what I like about a cowboy boot is they, if the right ones are very tapered and very clean. Um, I don't like ones with big soles that kind of stick out past the past the shoe. But you know, I like a good pointed pointed boot or a snip toe, as they call it, which is not a complete point, but a little kind of cut in the front. I'm still an American, and I'm proud of being an American. And so I always kind of want to bring bring all that together. You know, it, it's funny when I did the the movie The Heat. And um, I wore one of my Anderson and Shepard uh, double-breasted suits, which is the exact same pattern that, that uh, King Charles wears. And so I wore that, <laughs> but I decided oh, I was going to get a bowler hat. So I got a bowler hat and the, this walking oh, stick, and I showed up on the red carpet. And, and I liked it, but then this one British reporter goes like, oh, so you're dressing like a cartoon of a British man. <laughs> I was like, I guess I guess it's kind of like a Brit showing up dressed like a cowboy <laughs> in an American premiere. So I was like, okay. So I got I to kind of – I used to want to – blend in so much in London. I can't imagine that. And you you come across as the kind of person that only wants to stand out by what you're wearing. I wanted to stand out, but I didn't want to stand out as an American. I had, because I, okay. I always hated, I, they do this thing, you know, we go to Venice a lot. And there's these people that, that kind of get signatures and try to get money out of you. Um, and they pride themselves on knowing what nationality you are when they see you. And so they're like, oh, you're American. And I would get so angry when they would do that that I would like pretend to be something else just because like, don't, don't look at me and, and, and identify me without getting to know me or whatever. Don't assume. And so I don't know. So I, I always had this weird thing about that. But in the, the last number of years, I'm like, you know what? Just be proud. <laughs> be proud of who you are. <laughs> Bring it all together. And do you, when you're, when you're, you know, you're directing, do you 
wear a suit like Alfred Hitchcock. Oh yeah, always. you do. Oh yeah, suit and, and suit and tie when I'm directing, when I'm in prep, when I'm in post. I mean, I'm in the. I just I just got to the edit. This is how I dress in the editing with a suit and tie. I always dress up. And, you know, it's my uniform. It's I'm I'm in charge. You know, I'm the captain of the ship. Mm-hmm. And I always say, if I got a ship and the captain's wearing sweatpants, I get off the ship. So yeah, that's interesting. So how do the actors that you're working with? How do they react to that if they're not familiar? I mean, obviously, they've done castings or whatever you do beforehand. Yeah. But, um, I mean, what is their reaction to that? Do they comment on it or do they just accept it? I mean, people know now. I've been doing it for so long, I mean, over 20 yeah. years, that it's kind of known that that's what I do. If anything, now, if I show up somewhere in jeans or a people are like, oh, my God, you're so casual. It's like, oh, shut up. Yeah, they're disappointed, probably. Yeah, then that pisses me off. It's like, oh, God, do I always have to, like, have it completely put it on the dog? But, um, <laughs> but no, I, it was in the beginning. People were a little like, oh, but immediately they loved it. The actors loved it because they liked the respected show. But then I would have these big crew guys come up to me, you know, they're you know, tattoos and all this stuff. They're like, hey, man, I just think it's really great that you do this. Like, people really like it because I think there's a feeling of, like, oh, there's an adult in charge. No matter how mm-hmm. internally, you know, falling apart I may be in any one moment, I look like I'm in control with a suit. So I think there's something to be said for that. But do you feel more in control when you're in a suit? Is it kind of um, a sort of protection slash armor for you? Or is it just because you you think they're beautiful? No, I feel more pulled together. I mean, for, I, I do it because I think I look better in a suit, personally. But I also... Mm. There's something about the morning ritual of getting up, getting ready, putting, figuring out what you're going to wear, what tie you're going to wear with this, what pocket square and all that stuff is it focuses me. If I like rolled out of bed, pulled down some sweatpants and stumbled onto the set, I, I would, it, it's too unfocused for me. It's like, there's no separation between like home life and work. And so mm-hmm. there's something about getting ready. Here I am, come mm-hmm. in, now we're set, go in. I really like it. I, I don't think I could work any other way. And I've been doing it for so long. You know, I've been doing it for 20 years now that um, I love pictures of old Hollywood and watching those old directors like Hitchcock and, and John Ford and, and, and Howard Hawks and all that. And you see them in suit and, suits and ties on the set. But then like Stanley Kubrick would start the suit and tie on the set. And then you watch over his career. It got more casual, more casual. And then by the end, he was a real slob. <laughs> and I was, I was like, oh, like it made me sad. Like, oh, no, don't why don't lose that thing. Like I want I want to think that the director who made this movie looked cool you know when they did it mm. like eight and a half is my one of my favorite movies of all time mm. and this is the way that marcello mastriani looks in that beautiful briani suit with the thin lapel thin tie oh, gorgeous sublime yeah are you someone who lays your and works out what you're going to wear the next day no never mm. no here's my thing i will say this is controversial because uh, I'm around a lot of guys who dress and I'm involved with the rake and all these things, you know, magazine, Esquire and all that stuff. So I'm around a lot of events where guys dress. And what I find is there's guys that dress who just look like they own it. Yeah. And there's guys who dress and they look like they are owned by the clothes and that they're wearing yeah. a costume. And I feel like if you don't kind of treat your clothes like, yeah, okay, I'm grabbing this. Oh, what do I do today? It, it, like keep it casual. Then you're falling into that world of like, I'm trying to be a dandy and I'm not comfortable in the world doing this. You know what I mean? You got to own it. No, I think that's, and I think it's the same with women as well. Yeah. I mean, you can, someone who's dressed head to toe in designer clothes is, is, well, you can tell, I can tell when a woman's been dressed by a stylist yeah. or she dresses herself. And there are very few who are genuinely comfortable in their clothing. And I would say Kate Blanchett as yeah. one. I'd oh, say yeah. Tilda Swinton is another one. Very much so. Um, 
But the, the the majority just look like they're yeah exactly like you say they're wearing a foreign body. Well, it's all it is the stylist thing, which yeah. you know people always ask. Do you have a stylist? I I couldn't have a stylist before I met my wife. I had a couple of girlfriends who would like take me out shopping, and every time they were talking into something, I would get somewhere, and everybody else I knew would just break up laughing, like, "What are you wearing?" You know, but because you just kind of get bamboozled. My advice for guys, especially, I think there's more for guys than women, is. When you put on an outfit, don't look at your body. Look at your head first. Look at your head on top of that outfit because I can look below the neck and put on the youngest outfit in the world and go like, that looks cool. Mm -hmm. But if I look up and there's my 60-year-old head on top of it, then I look like some dude who's dating a woman 30 years younger than me who got dressed by her, you know, because <laughs> trying, trying to keep that relationship going. <laughs> oh, my. I have exactly the same thing. So if I'm Shopping online, okay, I hate I hate going into shops now, so I, yeah. I know my body shape really well, so I know what suits me. But I see these sort of gorgeous models, you know, that thin, and, um, but I do exactly the same. I don't visualize my own head mm. on the clothes because when I look in the mirror, I have this sort of dysmorphia that I yeah. look younger than I actually am. It's so true. it's the kind of reverse of what most people think. Mm -hmm. And so I put on this woman who I know who's much more wrinkly than I am. <laughs> and I think, how's she going to look in this every time? And it's, it's such a good trick. Yeah. You have to look the best that you can for the age you are. And the yeah. mistake happens when you go, I'm going to try to look younger than I am. Here's a perfect example, and this is a 20-year-old story, so take it as you will. There was a, a period where in the men's magazines, the young, you know, like GQ and Esquire for you know, younger guys, uh, wearing like a jean jacket with a tie and khakis or whatever. Oh, was, I hated that look. Yeah, oh. but, but that was like, you, you, you'd read these magazines and here's these like wafy guys in their 20s and you go, that looks kind of cool. Like, I'm going to try that. So I remember going out and getting a jean jacket, doing that thing, putting it on and going to like some fast food restaurant to pick up some food and the guy, older guy behind the counter is kind of my age. He's like, oh, so you had to work today, huh? And I was like, oh, great. So, no, I didn't look cool. <laughs> I looked like the guy that worked at the computer store who they said, Bill, you better put on a tie. It's like, well, I'm going to wear my jean jacket so it's a sobering lesson of like no if you're cool and stubbly and 20 years old and gorgeous yeah you can get away with anything it's one of the worst trends that i think has come in the last five years is those fucking geezer shoes i think they call them the men and women wear them those giant fucking trainers with uh, the gigantic uh. sole that sticks out on the back and they're they're but they're old they're old man shoes is basically what they are but if you're yeah, young, they are and if, but if you're young and cool then it's like oh look i'm wearing geezer shoes they, yeah but you know i don't even think you look cool in that if you're young and beautiful but you know stop don't take something that other people have to wear because they have orthopedic problems i totally agree with you yeah but the, the, and also when men dress so when a man dresses as a, as a ram a ram dress Dressed as a lamb, <laughs> and it's the same with women. It actually makes them look older. Yeah, you look older. Oh yeah, it's ridiculous. You know, I'm I'm in the comedy world, and um, a lot of guys my age, or you know, ten years younger than me, they they've never stopped wearing jeans and t-shirts and baseball caps and shorts. I'm sorry, shorts like cargo shorts and t-shirts and baseball caps. And I'm always like, 
So am I supposed to think you're 20, 15, or am I just supposed to think you just gave up? You just have given up. But there was always this thing, you know, from my generation, you know, now that, again, I'm 60, I like to say that number a lot, just to <laughs> drill it in, drill it into my head and get used to it. Oh, boy. Uh. Um, my generation coming up was very much against the patriarchy and very much against authority and all that. And so a suit and tie represented that. Mm-hmm. And so... Our generation went like, I'm never wearing a tie, never wearing a suit because that's old fashioned. But that was fine back then. But now that we are older, it's like you're not fooling anybody. I don't know who you think you're rebelling against. Mm -hmm. And you look ridiculous, you know? I mean, younger people are stepping it up more in general. And you're like, you just look like the old fucking guy who's just trying to, I don't know, pretend that you're young. It doesn't work. I think when men continue to dress like that, I I think men get can get stuck in a rut yeah. where they basically, they dress the same way they did when they lost their virginity <laughs> or when they first went to the pub and had their first alcoholic drink and they don't move on from that. Yeah, I, I buy that totally. I mean, it's funny, somebody, who was, I think it was Richard E. Grant, I was having dinner with him, and name drop, sorry. Love um, that, and, yeah. uh, I know, huh? <laughs> See how he slipped that in? But he had a really interesting theory. He said that um, famous people freeze at the age they got famous. Yeah. So like if you got famous when you're 18, these old rockers, they still think they're 18 years old. And they kind of carry on that way and they're able to get away with it because they're cool or whatever. But I, so I think that supports your theory. I think you just, whatever your first triumph that mm. happened when you were dressed in a way you go like, I think I look good. Uh, yeah, it just sticks with you. I, look, I, I get stuck in a rut just with wearing my suits all the time. I mean, only in the last year have I kind of, tried to mix it up a little bit again trying to mix the cowboy boots in with the suits and you know and try to pull off a cowboy hat occasionally something you know just throw something into the mix to just kind of break out of the suits i've been wearing for the last 20 years i'm not sure about the cowboy hat i don't know you gotta look at my instagram account i think i look pretty cool oh i'm a bit nervous it's a bit jru-ing that's <laughs> no, a little no. bit i'm not sure you gotta about tip that. it though you gotta you gotta wear it on a jaunty angle okay. oh yeah no, okay it's... a jaunty angle i love jaunty angle there you go but wait did you were you wearing a suit were you into suits when you lost your virginity is that why you stuck? <laughs> I still them? haven't lost it. Um, no, I, <laughs> uh, I was 24 years old when I lost my virginity. So I was, I was much older than males. I have a whole book. There's a whole book I wrote about it called Super Stud. If you want to look into my, oh, into my God, old. Oh, I'm going to write, I'm writing that down. Oh, Super thank you. I've, I've got two memoirs. One's called Kick Me and the other's called Super Stud. Or, the other one's called what? Kick, Kick Me. me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Super Studs or how I became a 24-year-old virgin. So, so you're not talking to the coolest guy in the world. But no, I, I, at that point, I was, I was just about to start my stand-up career, and you, you know what? Actually, when I, I'll tell you exactly what I kind of stuff I was wearing right around that time when I lost my virginity was. Do you, I don't know if you'll ever remember these. Nobody does. Willie Ware. There was this designer, Willie. I don't know his last name. He died of AIDS tragically, but he did these suits called Willie Ware suits, and I wore those all the time. And basically, they were kind of oversized, unconstructed suits with kind of these pleated pants that were loose, but they look cool. Jackets that you would roll the sleeves up, very mid-80s, you know, that look. So that's MC Hammer. 
MC Hammer. Not, not, not those MC Hammer pants. No, okay. those were two, the balloon pants. A lot of the musicians at that time were wearing those suits. All yeah. we did was roll our sleeves up. Yeah, yeah. No matter what jacket you had. If you didn't, you were uncool. Um, and so, so I wore a lot of that. I wore a lot of bowling shirts, like vintage bowling shirts, and these big kind of um, pleated loose pants. Loose, it sounds weird. They were just kind of like more roomy pants, but they look nice. And then Converse sneakers, like Chuck Taylor All-Stars. So I'm trying to visualize it. I don't, what's a bowling shirt? Bowling, you know, like 10-pin bowling. Do you have that here? Yeah. Yeah. There, there was like bowling leagues in, in America. Like people have bowling Oh, leagues. so... And so they do okay, like bowling so, shirts that have your name on the front that always has like a, an elaborate embroidered design gotcha. on the back for your team. Yeah. Okay. Find old stand-up tapes of me. They, they do exist. They're on, if you go on YouTube, look me up and you'll see me in a willy wear suit and you'll, I think you'll see me in some, I don't know if you'll see me in some of my bowling shirts, but yeah. Oh, no, no. I am, I am going to be getting into my bed and I'm going to be up all night Googling and YouTubing oh you. What a terrible night you'll have. <laughs> I know, I'm going to. <laughs> and my hair, my hair was down to my shoulders too. So. But I want to know, have you ever dyed your hair? No, never. Never. So you, what are you, a kind of strawberry blonde, would you say? Well, I, I, I still think I'm kind of brownish blonde, but every time anybody draws a character of me, they make my hair white. <laughs> so I guess my hair is white, but I still only see it as kind of like like a sandy kind of blonde that's, that's definitely got some white in it. But um, no, but I, I'm very, very against alter, altering the way that you are going through life, you know, because it, it, it's a syndrome we, we call a uh, young hair, old face uh, in mm. our house. I won't name celebrities, but there are some celebrities who kind of did that. And you go like, oh, look at the beautiful blonde hair. Look at them. my God, look at their melting underneath it, you know. So I, I just think the human body was designed. We came out the way we should. And so we age in a way that looks natural. And look, if we're not happy with the way we look, you're never going to be happy with the way you look. Totally agree. In the business I'm in, yeah, I, I, you know, I've auditioned on projects, older actresses especially, and um, they will come in and it's one plastic surgery nightmare after the next. People that you knew, you grew up watching, and you're like, and you're like oh, my God. And my, my theory is why... First of all, I think you can have the biggest class action suit against plastic surgeons in the world because they just make it, mm. you, your career's over. Like, I can't use people when they look like that. But um, we all see ourselves from one angle. And the one angle is looking in the mirror head on. So everything we do in our life is to look great in that one angle. And as we know in life... Every other angle is up for grabs. <laughs> Only when you're talking to somebody are they looking at you dead in the face. Everything else is from the side. So that's why pictures of us, candid pictures, are always horrifying. Because you're like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> my mm -hmm. chin looks like mm -hmm. that. My neck looks like that. Oh, my God. I got a bald spot. I didn't really – my nose was that big. You know, so so that's why I always think plastic surgery is just a, a potential disaster because you're just you're, – you're setting one angle for yourself. I actually wrote an article about this for the Sunday Times the other day about looking around at the younger generation. And as we know, all these young women, really young women, yeah. going to have Botox and fillers and yeah. la, la, la. And I just find it so regressive. And where's the where's this sort of, you know, powerful women that's supposed to be around that are emasculating men? When they look like that, I'm sorry. It's I find it so saddening i'm with you i mean the the fish lips and all that stuff and it's again it looks weird from any other angle than from the head on and 
frankly yeah. looks weird head on, but, but no, I mean, they're you, a natural, and I'm going to say like a natural beauty because that like cuts most of us out of the world, you know, but yeah. there's something beautiful about just natural people, you know, natural looking. And again, if you're, if you're not beautiful, it's not going to make you beautiful. It's just going to make you a, a version of what you kind of think you want to look like. And then everybody else is going to go like, what happened? <laughs> what happened to that person? You just have to be happy with who you are and dress up that person. Again, it all comes back to clothes, I'm telling you. And, and hair to an extent and makeup sometimes. But it's really about clothes. Like somebody who would look terrible in you know, yoga pants and, a, you know, in a t-shirt puts on some outfit, you know, see some women wearing like a sundress or something. You go like, oh, that looks really pretty. Like it just kind of, you know, you're, you're playing against the things that work against you and you're playing into the things that work for you, but always be proud of what you got. You know, I mean, mm. as an only child, my mom it has nothing to do with being an only child. It's just, I was very close to my mom and she loved fashion and like young people and all that. And so she, my mother, my, my wife can tell you that my mom was always like wanting to do something that was young. And so she showed up once with like a bare midriff. <laughs> so like, oh my God, mom. you know, and she <laughs> how a, old was she? She was in her, in her seventies uh. and she'd had a C-section, you know, so she, you know, yeah, your stomach's not held in. It's just like, but she thought she looked great. And I was just like, you know what? God bless you. You look, you know, if, if everybody makes fun of you, if you feel great, fuck them. Exactly. Fuck them all. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yes. But that's, that is so brilliant. But I, and I mean, she's past the generation of social media. And I think another yeah. problem is, is that, you know, all these especially famous people and younger younger women and men to a certain degree, mm -hmm. you know, they, they take a picture of themselves and then there are all these filters that yeah. they can put on. And then they look at themselves in the mirror and they're like, well, I don't look like my, my photographs. So yeah. that's when they start changing too. And I think it's not just young girls that are doing that. It's, no. you know, well, older women too and men. The business I'm in, I'm telling you, you don't know how much, you know, cosmetic work we do in movies and in all that stuff. I mean, digitally think altering any kind of imperfection. Some, you know, I try not to do it in my movies just because my movies are more comedies and real. But I, I know, mm -hmm. I, I know plenty of secrets about plenty of movies that people like and they go, wow, they look so great. It's like, yeah, I know why, because I know the guy that made them look great in a digital studio, re-sculpting everything in their face. So you see something that you want to be and you can't be it, but you try to make it happen. Now with AI, I mean, people are running their, their photos through AI and it makes everybody look so cool. Like somebody put mine through, I go like, I wish I looked like that. How can I look like that? So you can't look like that. It's completely fake. 
with all that kind of airbrushing and digital sculpting, whatever they do um, in films and amazing lighting, when you see an actress in real life, it's yeah. it's such a massive, what well, actually, it's such a massive disappointment. Yeah. And I would rather look shit mm. on social media and in photographs and then people see meet me and they go, oh, my God. <laughs> you look way better. You look, <laughs> you look so much better. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the kind of whole reverse thing. But um, but you work you work with you did um, Bridesmaids, which is one of my favorite films, and and Melissa McCarthy. She just seems like I love her so much because personally, I think she's so beautiful. She's yeah. got the most incredible face. She's all woman. She's sexy, and she to me is the kind of role model that we need more of. Yeah, today. I mean, Melissa's awesome. She's great. She doesn't mind looking bad, you know, which is which is great because if you're in comedy, comedy's dead the minute you have to look good in comedy, you know, because then, you know, I don't know who you're trying to please. We like comedians because they are us, you know, and, mm. and we live through them. So, no, but she's, I mean, she's she's spectacular. I mean, we did four movies together. We just had the best time. Mm. And so um, going back to you, because this is an interview with Paul Feig. Me? Oh, my God. So... You, am I right in saying that you divide your time between London and L and LA now? And New York, yeah. And oh, and in New York. So isn't that a bit of a nightmare when it comes to your wardrobe? Because you spent, <laughs> you must have spent. You know, do you have a house here in the UK? We have a flat that we rent uh, that we've been in okay. for for almost three years now. Again, since I have so many suits, you kind of get the A team and the B team and the C team. <laughs> so like, okay, okay. let's leave. A bunch of the B team in New York. Let's leave C team and some B team in LA. And then I've got sort of my my favorites that I'll wear, that I'll put into like a carry-on bag. Honestly, it's one of the other reasons why I wear a suit on the plane because it's one I don't have to pack. Yeah. I've been doing it for so long that you just kind of get used to it and you just go like, okay, I think these two are the ones. And But I'm always amazed at the stuff I find in my closets that I haven't worn in forever because my wife's always trying to like, we don't, if you haven't worn it in a year, get rid of them. Like, no, that theory does not work with me. Like I, <laughs> Something I haven't worn for 10 years, I'll suddenly go like, oh my God, and then I'll wear it constantly for like a year until everybody's sick of it. So, Is your wife as obsessed with clothes as you are? No, no, but she always looks good. She always looks yeah. good, but no, she you know, she gets annoyed at me sometimes because she's like, can you ever not just go out normal and like casual? <laughs> you know, I get that. Yeah. You know, it, sometimes people feel like you're trying, you're trying to one-up them or whatever, but um, no, but she always looks great and she's got a really fun style and uh, she's gotten into suits recently too and uh, she looks great. In them. And also Samantha Sun dresses, she loves those, which are really pretty. Okay. There's an amazing... Um this young daughter, actually, of a friend of mine who started this um, company called The Deck. D oh, yeah. yeah. Do you know that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that she makes great women's suits, yeah. kind of tailored, bespoke yeah. suits. Love I think that. it's a great look. I mean, you are kind of quite extraordinary. It's so hmm. nice to talk to a man who loves clothes, who isn't a kind of misogynistic designer that likes to dress women looking like men. Oh, God, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you are just amazing. You, oh. You're unique. Well, thank you. I love it so much. Oh, you're, you're being too kind. <laughs> no, it's true. You. You're, you're an anonymy. It's perfect. Well, thanks. Do you have a comfort blanket? Is there something that, so, that you kind of reach for if you're feeling stressed, overworked, tired, down? Depends where I am. If I'm at home, um, 
I've got these new and liquid pajamas. I got a bunch of them in different okay. designs and stuff. I love putting those on, like the end of the day. It's just so nice because they're so comfortable, but they look nice still, you know. And I and I, I they make slippers, these new and liquid slippers that are really nice and in, in dressing gowns and all that. So yeah, I, I kind of like sort of putting on my Noel Coward after hours, you know, thing, make a martini and sit down yeah. and have that. So that's that's I, I really enjoy that. And then I think just during the day. I don't know. I mean, just having my suit on makes me feel good. And sometimes, yeah, I just kind of crave putting my boots on. Sometimes I'll plan a day around if the boots will work with something <laughs> because I do love my cowboy boots. Mm. It's a weird, weird thing that I have. My wife can't stand it. But would you say, <laughs> are you the, are you quite vain? I mean, do you kind of walk, look at yourself in every reflective sur- surface, kind of like when you're walking past a window or are you vain or are you just kind of, conscious about... I think there's always vanity involved, you know, or else I would just dress like a slob. But at the same time, I think the vanity comes from the fact that I know how bad I look when I'm dressed badly. And I'm... I'm not always checking myself out in in the in reflections because a lot of times it's too sobering because <laughs> I yeah, like the yeah, feeling yeah. of like, I look really good. And you always have that moment you look in the mirror, it's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I don't look anything like I thought I looked. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's that image you have of yourself that kind of keeps you moving forward. <laughs> um, I'm what's known in, in the with tailoring world, though, as a wrinkle chaser, um, which sounds disgusting. But yeah, uh, sounds... no, it's when you're getting a, a suit tailored, like I'll have to go back five, six times because we put it on. It's like, oh, well, there's a little fold here. Okay, I see a little thing here. Oh, this isn't hanging just right. I just, I need to, in that stage, I need to have it perfect okay because i know it's going to become not perfect as time goes on so in that way then that's probably my most anal that i am in the process yeah so you're basically you're a nightmare oh, yeah. customer a terrible client no, they, they, yeah. <laughs> these folk houses throw me out they, they run screaming when they see me oh my goodness but do you to feel like i mean do you ever think of yourself that that part of you is performing do you ever feel that it helps you yeah. to maybe not? It's weird. It's like talking to you. I can't put the two together. What your, <laughs> your, you know, the way you dress and the beauty of all the tailoring. And I mean, I'm not saying you're not a lovely person, but it, it it's kind but of. But it's a very astute observation. I, I think, I think all dressing, if you dress, if you want to present a style is performative. Um, the goal is to not make it look like a costume. <laughs> and, and so you have to kind of say, this is what I want to project to the world. Now I got to get the stuff and now I got to pretend I don't care about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Versus yeah. The, the guys that I was talking about earlier who go like, oh, I got to put this on. I got to really look good. This has to be perfect. I got to really make sure everything's good. And then you're like, oh, okay. Then you, you don't want to feel like if somebody touches, you know, comes up, touches your shoulder, you're like, don't touch me. You messed up my, my tie or whatever yeah. it is. But do you think it makes you less accessible? Do you think it makes you not accessible, but do you think it sometimes makes you less approachable in wearing the clothes you do? I mean, if it does, that's on the other person because I'm not a person who uses it to be standoffish. Okay. I mean, honestly, one of the things for me a suit is, to me a suit it represents comedy because all my favorite funny people from... Monty Python to Groucho Marx to my favorite, you know, like, you know, David Letterman, you know, American talk show hosts to most comedians perform in a suit and tie. 
And, you know, I've always said the ministry of silly walks in, in Monty Python, if he was wearing like a Hawaiian shirt and, and a shorts and a bathing suit, it wouldn't be funny. It's funny because he's this buttoned up Englishman with a bowler hat, you know, in the morning suit on. That's why it's funny. And so to me, I think actually dressing this way makes me more makes my comedy funnier and thus makes me more accessible. And yet at the same time, you might not approach me. No, that's interesting. Although you know I you know who I get mistaken for on the streets all the time is Michael Gove. <laughs> all the oh, time. Constantly. No. I just had I had a few months ago I was walking walking uh, I forget if I was on Charing Cross or something and walking along with with my assistant, we were chatting and joking. And all of a sudden, this woman comes up. She just like comes up. She goes like, "I just want to let you know that I think you're a complete and utter twat." And it's like and stormed away. And I was like, oh "My God!" I was like, "Who do you think I am?" And they're like yelling. I'm going. I'm not Michael Gove. I'm like yelling down the street. <laughs> so either she just hated my movies, or she it's another person thought I was Michael Gove. So you uh, don't look. Anything I have, like I don't have my glasses Michael. on. Okay, yep, there is. There you go. See, I just put my glasses on. Yeah, viewers at home. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a little resemblance, but it's yes. only when you put your glasses on. Yes, I mean, exactly. You're much better looking than him. He's, he's, <laughs> Thank you. He really isn't a looker. Um, <laughs> it's a low. It's a low bar. <laughs> now you must work more closely with costume designers than yes. most directors. So I interviewed Jenny Bevan, who is. Amazing. So do you get very involved in the costumes? Very much so. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, that's my favorite part. But, but at the same time, I also having, having been an actor for so long, realize how you have the costume helps you find the character. So Mm. I'll work with, you know, my, my, my costume designer is Renee Kalfas, who's amazing. I've been working with her ever since a simple favor and she's just amazing. And we're so in tune, but we talk about what I want, what the look I want is, and then invite the actors in and go like, what do you, what do you want to do? And then we kind of all confab it that way. And then once we kind of pick the, what their style is that they know they need, then I get involved with like, oh, let's do this and that. And then Renee's brilliant. She's bringing ideas and the actors bringing in ideas. So, but, but it has to have an overall look. There always has to be like, what's the tone? What's the feel of this movie? The one I'm just doing right now that I just finished shooting that we're editing right now takes place in kind of a dystopian, very near future. Um, that's very, you know, like LA 10 years in the future kind of thing. Is that grand? What was it called? Grand? Yeah. Grand, De- grand death lotto. <laughs> That's such a great name. It's a crazy-ass movie. It's crazy. But it's it's hilarious. Um, But nuts. And it was just like, well, what do we do? Because it's supposed to be about, like, depressed L.A., but I don't want it to be a depressing-looking movie, so... Just talking to Renee, and go like, what if it's one of these era, one of these times when everybody dresses in really bright colors? Because we go through those times where suddenly like neon comes in and just bright, garish colors, and so like, okay, that's it. So that was basically this movie is kind of against depressed LA, but with everybody wearing these really insane colors, and it's just fun to like put the stamp on there. Mm, brilliant. So, do you ever yearn to do a costume drama, kind of eighteenth century costume drama? For the costumes, yes, but it would have to be something fun. You know, I mean, the movie I did before this, uh, The School for Good and Evil, that's on Netflix, I love doing that because we designed all these original costumes. I mean, Renee outdid herself. You got, if you get a chance to watch the movie, just watch it for the costumes alone. And it's, it's spectacular. And we, 
I've got all these amazing fabrics from Italy and, and, and you know, it is during, during not only Brexit, but the pandemic at the same time. <laughs> so getting stuff in was impossible, but we had all these wonderful seamstresses and, and tailors and everybody working. And that I really love because we got to kind of invent a new style, a newish style for a fairy tale land. And that was a blast. So I, I honestly, that kind of satisfied my desire to do a, a costume drama there's something great about doing a period thing because there's a set look and rules of that time. I like it for music, especially, because then you go, mm. oh, we just pick the best music from that time versus you make something modern day. Studios are trying to get you. There's this new band and they have a song. You're like, okay, so I put it in the movie and then six months from now, everybody's going to think it's the dumbest song ever. So I do like that, but there's something also confining about the fact that, okay, that's what it was back then and we can't invent. So mm. I, I just had so much fun on School for Good and Evil inventing new, new looks that that was, a, that was a blast. But that is brilliant. That is really where the clothing play, plays a huge role in determining the character. Yeah, and it's like my movie, A Simple Favor, you know, I mean, it's yeah. quite lively. We were trying to figure out what her look was, and, and, and um, Renee had pulled a bunch of, like, Helmut Newton kind of photos that were super cool and all that. And then I was in there working with her and Blake, and then Blake just looks at me. I was wearing one of my three-piece suits. She goes, like, I want to dress like you. And so she based her whole look on me, basically, and then Renee took it and then, like, just feminized all this jewelries and pins and the way she was doing ties and stuff. And it was, oh, it was just so I great. remember that. That was really fab. Uh, really, really, fun. really fab. But, um, so, is there an actor or actress whose style has blown you away? For a while, Tom Hardy on the on the red carpet was really dressing cool. I mean, like about five years ago, I remember the just suits, like, suits, and like these cool kind of like like trench coats that were really tightly tailored with like driving gloves. I was like, that's fucking cool, you know. So I like that, but. You know, again, like like you were saying, a lot of people are dressed by stylists now. And I, I feel like we're in a period now where everybody's trying to be so wacky, you know, or or just surprising. I find the Met Ball kind of infuriates oh, me now. I find it so repellent, especially, you know, now when the world is going tits up. And yeah. I, I just find it's like, yeah, it is. It's it's become fancy dress. It's not about beautiful clothing. Yeah, it's trying hard to be to be shocking, and yeah. into that you'll see somebody in a you know, like guy in a beautiful tuxedo, and you're like, yeah, that's yeah, that looks great. You know, I I was lucky enough to get to go to the Met Ball twice, uh, you know, over the last ten years. And first of all, it's, it's humiliating <laughs> because everybody's trying so hard. And if you, I'm not very famous. Uh, I'm kind of known somewhere, but you know, I had this hilarious thing where. <laughs> I, I got invited by the, I won't say his name, this fashion designer who, you know, sells clothes. He has like these, he, he does well. He, he's not mm -hmm. the highest end, but he's kind of one of those middle middle ones. And somehow through my publicist, is like, oh, he wants to take you as his guest to the Met Ball. I was like, awesome. So get all set. And they actually made me a tuxedo and stuff. And it was, looked really cool. And then at the last minute he goes like, oh, you know, my daughter's going to come with us. I was like, oh, cool. So he's got this beautiful daughter, you know, like 20 or whatever. And so we're at the Carlisle and we get in the car to go over. And so you get to the Met Ball. And it's this just giant red carpet under a tent that waits to go into the cavern of photographers where you get your picture taken. <gasps> and so we're waiting, and like all these famous people are around me. And the hilarious thing is, there's always a woman with an enormous train that you, everybody's trying to get around, and then these crazy costumes. And so we get up to the front, and we're ready to go. And then they come up to go, like, oh, sir, uh, we would like you and your daughter to, to come out and do the pictures. So they separated me from him. 
So then I'm just standing there by myself at the front of this line waiting to be next. <laughs> Famous people behind me, like Rihanna and all this stuff. So like, oh, Rihanna, come up through. Come, oh, come around. <laughs> Sir, could you just step to the side? And I'm just standing there and I get pushed around and I'm stepping on, you know, some famous person's foot and I'm tripping over their train. And finally I was like, can I just, can I just run through? I, I, nobody wants my picture. Can I just go through? Okay, go fast. So I go running through that, that canyon and all I hear is move, get out of the way, move. Like every place I was, I was in the background of some glamorous person's shot. I go running up these stairs in a panic. I was like, oh God, welcome to, welcome to show. Oh my god, that is too funny! I yeah, I just find a red carpet. It's like, why, why? I know. There's a red carpet for everything now. I you know. know it's hilarious. There's a new, a new kind of teacup in Walmart, and there's a red fucking <laughs> carpet for it. in a step and repeat. The, oh my! The infamous step and repeat. If you don't know what that is at home, it's a backdrop they put up that has the sponsors' names on it and the event name, like um, printed all, you know, okay. all over it. So wherever you take a picture, you've got the sponsors' names behind you and it's yeah. always the red carpet with the step and repeat behind it. And the step and repeat means you go to the one section, all the photographers there take your picture, then you go down to the next section, those photographers take your picture there. So you, you move down the line and it's always a way to know how famous or not famous you are by how, how many cameras go down when you step into the next spot. Yeah. Uh, all, you know, you think flash, 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 flash for the, like the famous person. And then you come up, it's like Paul Feig, everybody. And like <laughs> flash, flash. <laughs> and then, oh, then and, get out of the and way. Those and those went off by up. mistake. Exactly. There's always, there's always a couple that throw me a bone who know me. Yeah. Like, hey, Paul's like, hey, okay. Oh, there he goes. Do a dumb there. pose for you. Oh, my God, you are too good. Okay, well, this is a really important question. Yes. Um, and yeah. one that I want an honest answer. She'll give me. How do you look after your suits? How do you stop them getting moth? And how do you clean them? Because I, another guest was Nile Rogers, who loves oh, clothes. Yeah. And he hand washes every single thing. His suits, he has all these wow. Karl files, everything. And I didn't really believe him. And then I got this message from him. He sent me a text. And then there was this, um, this kind of, he was looking at himself in the mirror and he was completely naked. <laughs> Not completely, but I right. thought he was. And I thought, oh my God, here we go. And then luckily there was a towel wrapped around and his hand went into the sink and there was this suit that he'd come off stage, this beautiful suit that he was hand washing with soap flakes. Oh my God. In the basin. That's... So you do you do this? What do you do? How do you keep them clean and moth-free? I do not do that. Um, that's far too much work. Shame oh, on you. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing about suits. And some people will be shocked by this. And some people will be horrified by this. You're really not supposed to clean a suit more than twice a year. I'm not shocked by that. I don't wash my hair more than twice a year. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but it's just, it's, you know, like a bespoke suit. It's, it's just, it's hard on the suit. But what you do is you get it sponge impressed. So basically you take it back to the tailor. They will sponge it, kind of sponge it clean, and then they press it. So like dry cleaners, forget it. I mean, dry cleaning is so hard on clothes. It, it's, mm. you know, it's terrible. So, so that's what I do. And I'll, I'll just take it. A lot of my suits are from Anderson and Shepard. So I'll, I'll, you know, my bespokes, I'll take them there like a few times a year and go, okay, let's, let's do the, the sponge and press. And, and only if there's like a catastrophic stain do we have to do a, a dry cleaning. But then my shirts, then, you know, we find, I always find who's the best 
dry cleaner or, or you know, just cleaners because I don't dry clean my, my shirts because they get yellow, but you need a really good one that won't shrink them. You know, because all my shirts are bespoke too because of my shoulders. Again, mm-hmm. if I buy them off the rack, it's, they're just all rumpled and folded in the front. So, so yeah, so I mean, the shirts go to a nice cleaner, and then that's that's kind of it. And moths, I, I weirdly have not had trouble with moths. I've only had a couple of sweaters get hit by moths but um okay so we've talked for such a long time which is marvelous so i want to know have you ever had a wardrobe malfunction (laughs) um yes well i mean it was it was my my my, i have a a famous one um that i actually wrote an episode of freaks and geeks about when i was uh, a junior in in high school um so that's here the equivalent of being 16 or whatever um you know, into the disco, very into the disco world, and had this store at the, the mall called Silverman's where I would get my disco clothes. And went in one day and the salesman's like, oh, come here. He, he knew me really well because I was always in there. He goes, you got to see this. Look at this. It just came in and it was a disco jumpsuit. Um, <laughs> it, it was this like light powder blue denim <laughs> One piece suit with the big collar, zip up the front, faux belt, big bell bottoms, you know. And he's like, man, this is the hot thing, man. And I was like, oh, I got to get this. So I buy this thing and I put it on and I wear it to school. I mean, you that's a wardrobe malfunction there. Oh. It doesn't need more of a story, but keep going. Well, I mean, just what the it's those things where you go, I look so cool. I look so cool. And the mm. minute you enter public you immediately go, this was a mistake and mm. I'm stuck and I'm trapped in this all day. <laughs> I'm getting looks, everybody looking at me, people are laughing <laughs> and you know, you tried to get out. I tried, oh, I'm sick. You, you get, no, get back to class. It's like, and it was, I never wore it again. Oh. But um, yeah, what, what a day that was. That is too good. That is too good. Well, listen, I mean, you just, it's been such a joy Thank talking you. to you. And you and, too, um, oh goodness. No, really, it's been so lovely. And um, I wish you all the luck with the rest of your editing today. How much, how, long, how much longer have you got? Well, I mean, we'll be working on this until the end of the summer. So, I mean, I'll, oh, I'll, I'll finish okay. the movie fully at the beginning of October. But, uh, yeah, so it's, you know, post-production takes longer than actually shooting the movie. Yeah. But it's the fun part. So, um, with all these suits, is the one that's is the one that is kind of the equivalent of your birthday suit, like your absolute favorite that makes you feel fabulous. It's not weirdly the first bespoke suit I got from Anderson Shepard. It's the second one I got. Oh, um, yeah, it's just, it's just gray. It's it's just a gray three piece suit, but it fits so beautifully. It was back when. Um, uh, this guy named Mr. Hitchcock was the man who was making the the, the jackets, and he was just a, ma- a maestro. And it just fits like perfect. I think it looks so good. It goes with everything. And so, and only recently I noticed it's getting kind of threadbare, like on the front of the of the waistcoat on the, on the front seam. And I'm like, oh, what do I do? So I got to take it back and see if they can prepare it or something. But yeah, that that's I would say that's my always default suit that I just go to because I just love it so much. That sounds fabulous. <laughs> so, um, and then, of course, I mean, it's like if you had, if I had to guess a sideline you might have, it would be a, your own gin brand. Yes. And it is your own gin brand called Arching Storms. Yes. How did that come about? I'm a gin fanatic. I'm a martini fanatic. And um, 
to me, Martini's always represented adult life. Uh, even when I was a kid, mm. you know, in the old movies, he, the thin man, you know, Nick and Nora drinking martinis and um, joking about them. And uh, yeah, so I just, you know, in my 20s, I, I wanted to drink martinis. I, I didn't like gin, so I'd drink vodka martinis. But then I read a book and said, a real martini is gin, it's not vodka. So I was like, I got to learn how to like gin. And discovered that the gins I wasn't crazy about were some of the old traditional beef eaters and those kind of things. So I started trying all these gins and found a million different types and flavor profiles and all that. And what like fell head over heels in love with gin. But it was always going like, oh, but I've, I, I, I know what I want. A, my gin to taste like. like If I can make a gin, I know exactly what I want it to taste like. And I never found one that was quite like that. And so, like, now it's been seven years ago, I, I connected up with this company called Minhas uh, um, Distillery. And we, I had, I, I told exactly what I wanted to taste like. And then we developed the recipe together and then uh, designed the bottle. And yeah, and it's my pride and joy. It's uh, you know, you can you can get it now on Amazon.co.uk, uh, and it's a you can get it at Dukes. Alessandro Palazzi will serve you an Arctic Souls Martini, and uh, it's at the South Audley uh, Pub. But it's it, it, it's around town, and it's getting it's getting it's catching on. So, uh, but it's a gorgeous bottle. You can get it at Jerry's too, in, in Soho. So where. Where's it distilled? Where's the distillery? Actually, in, in Monroe, Wisconsin. But it's it is a is a it's a proper London dry. It's, it's called Ardingstall's Brilliant London Dry Gin, and uh, yeah, it, it's it, I I'm just it's I love it so, so much. I, I drink a lot of it too. Uh, I, I put my money where my mouth is. But it, it's great for martinis. I, it's really formulated for martinis, but it works in any other capacity. Okay. Yeah. Well, sadly, I'm an alcoholic, so I won't be able to go there. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, no, well, sadly not. No, well, I, I have a cocktail book too, so you can read that. It's called Cocktail Time, uh, The Ultimate Guide to Grown-Up Fun. So you can read that and just find funny stories, but not like the drink. Okay. There you go. Well, listen, Paul, you have been an absolute joy. I can't thank you enough for giving me so much of your time. And, thank you. Um, I just love your passion for clothes. I could it's talk about wonderful. this all day, and you're wonderful to talk to you about it. All right, my darling. You take care, and thank you so very much. Thank you, Susanna. Oh, he's right. We could have gone on for hours. What a gentleman in every sense. Speaking of gentlemen, and actually two that Paul and his wife know and adore, here's Duo with Cascada.
Love that. You can find Duo's new album, Destino, at duoguitarmusic.com and follow them at Duo Guitar Music. And you can follow Paul on Twitter and Instagram at Paul Feig and find his gin at artingstallsgin.com. His latest book, Cocktail Time, The Ultimate Guide to Grown-Up Fun, is out now. All the links are in our show notes. Finally, you can find us at mywardmail.com on our socials, on our website at mywardmail.com, and of course, subscribe, rate, and review us on your chosen podcast platform. That's it. Thanks so much again to Paul, to Duo, and of course, to you for listening. Catch up soon. Until then, my wardrobe is officially closed. 